Good morning to all of you. I heard a story many years ago about a young man who started in the ministry and he was going to preach at his first church. He got up into the pulpit. Uh, it was one of those traditional pulpits where you had to climb some stairs and he got up and his head stood proud. His head was held high. His shoulders were back. He was puffed up. And he got up to preach, but as he preached, uh, he was just brimming with confidence, but he didn't make a connection with the congregation. They didn't understand what he was saying. There was no spiritual power. There was no evidence of Holy Spirit conviction. And after the service, he came down out of the pulpit. His head was drooped. His shoulders were slung over. He was disappointed with his performance. And an older minister came up to him and said, young man, if you had climbed up into that pulpit the way you came down, you would have, you would have climbed up the way, you would, have, you would have come down the way you went up. Now, this morning I want to speak a little bit about uh, pride versus humility, arrogance and self-righteousness versus being humble and desperately in need of God. There's a, a passage in the scripture that says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, when I started my ministry as a young man of 26, I had a fairly large church of 340 at 26. It's a little bit overwhelming, and the church continued to grow. And planted out a, a, another congregation, and I was very, very focused on growing my own personal platform rather than growing uh, the kingdom of God. I was more interested in being known than pursuing knowing Jesus. And that's just such a wrong initial stage to be in. But I'm very grateful to the Lord that my platform never ever outgrew my character because then you start to end up in trouble. Your pride and your arrogance and your conceit begins to overwhelm. Pride always resists accountability. Pride always uh, wants to figure it out its own way. I've mastered it. I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody else as advice. See, the there's a, there's a little proverb that goes something like this. The person who blows his horn the, the, the loudest, the hardest, is usually in the deepest fog. And that's kind of true. That's kind of true. And there are times that the Lord has had to knock me down to size. And I've come to realize that the more I grow in the Lord, the smaller I become. It's about Him. That song that we finished off, low, 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 be lifted up, Lord. Be lifted up. And the interesting thing is, Jesus changed all the dynamic. You remember there was a time when James and John came to Jesus and they like, who's going to be the greatest, Lord, in your kingdom? Me. Come on. I'll be there at your right-hand side. How about me? And Jesus changed everything. When he took off his cloak, put a towel around him, filled a basin with water, 
and washed the feet of the disciples. In that moment, he redefined greatness. So, this morning I want to speak about two guys that were praying. And the prayer that the Lord heard and the prayer that the Lord didn't hear and didn't want to answer. So let's go to Luke chapter 18 and reading from verse 9. The parable of Jesus. One third of every word that Jesus spoke was in parables. This is one of them. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Two sinners. One knew that he was a sinner. The other did not. One boasted about his righteousness. The good man went to hell. The bad man went to heaven. Both went to the temple. One goes down to the front seat, proudly takes his place. Thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. The other felt the heaviness of sin, wouldn't even go into the temple. Stood afar off, the Bible says, beat his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. Not a sinner, the sinner. This is a story, this is a parable of two different attitudes. One saw a great need, one saw a great self. One put himself on a pedestal, the other sank into the dust of humility and cried out for mercy. And when the prayers were finished, they both went home. One walk, walked pompously back, wrapped up in his own importance and in his own self-righteousness. The other went back thanking God and rejoicing that his sin was forgiven and that he felt peace. One justified and the other still had his sin. It's a story of contrasts. Pharisee was an outstanding citizen. He was respected in the community. Financially and socially, he was prominent. The tax collector, some translations call him a publican, an outcast. The Jews didn't like him because he had sold out to the Romans. And his job was to get as much from the community as possible even to extract more than he would give to Rome. And from those excesses, he would live his affluent lifestyle. 
not very popular with the Jews at all. But they had three things in common. They were Jews. Both had a desire to pray. Both addressed God. Pharisee wasn't a bad man. He's actually quite a fine man. He was in his synagogue. He was a religious man. He upheld religious customs. He got to tithe. He fasted twice a week. Whoa. Better than most of us. Little medal for him. But it says, when the Pharisee went to the temple, he was praying by himself. What does that mean? Was he just mumbling like we do sometimes? You know, like, Lord, just bless me. It meant he might have been praying out loud, but he was only praying to himself because his prayers were hitting the ceiling and were bouncing right back. This was a prayer that God wasn't particularly hearing. Everybody else was hearing, especially him, because he thought he was so good and so sharp. It was all about his self-assurance. All about his ego boasting. Let's just look at verse 11 and 12 again. Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Unto himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Ah. This is a prayer that God doesn't answer. Why didn't God respond to this prayer? Because, first of all, he was comparative. He was comparing himself. He looked down upon other people rather than looking up to God. You see, our status in God is not based on whether we are better than others, but really our status in God is about our relationship with Him. And I think it's so wrong to look down on somebody else who might have not done as well as you in this life, and compare yourself. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 2, for the way you judge, you will be judged. Be careful how you look at others. Basically, you're saying, God, judge me in exactly the same way as I judge other people. It's like the little boy who came back from school and he had got 36% for an exam. And his dad scolded him and said, What's the matter with you? 36%? That's terrible. That's a terrible mark. But dad, it's not so bad because Andre van Niekerk got 33% and Dirk Bentley got 29% and poor old Peter Combrunk got 22%. And 36 is not so bad. Really? Really? Just in going through this parable a number of times this past week, I try to figure out who was the central figure in this parable. Was it the Pharisee? Was it the tax collector? I mean, doesn't it say at the end that the tax collector went home 
justified. But Jesus, right at the beginning in verse 9, identifies and he points out that this is a parable about the Pharisee and about his arrogance. Verse 9, Jesus told the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. His aim wasn't to put the attention on the tax collector, but rather to jolt the consciences of those of us who are like Pharisees, to jolt our conscience and say, hey, watch your attitude. Many of us are like that. Even this last week, I had an experience where I thought, why, why, why are these people not like us? Why are these people not like me? So what happened? We're putting up new faces in our home. The other ones were frot, frot, frot. They were like marshmallow. I could just stick my finger through the wood. So we had carpenters come, and they were putting up, and they put up new gutters. And the carpenter came to me and said, Richard, we need one piece of gutter. We haven't got it. It's four o'clock. There's a taxi strike. I've been to Build, Builders Express in Stellenbosch. I know that they don't have this part. No delivery would have taken place in the last day or so. I'm going to go to the other hardware shop on the other side of Stellenbosch. I'm going on the R44. And as I approached the, the, the um, turn-off towards Kaiamandi and the industrial area on the R44, just past this old station. The station doesn't get used anymore. It's just past there. Lots of traffic. Four o'clock in the afternoon on the R44 in Stellenbosch. Lots of traffic. I, I'm approaching the robot, and here comes a taxi. and blocks me off. I'm thinking, it's a taxi strike. I hit the brakes. Yeah. And the taxi goes, and the next thing, a bus that had been stationary on the side as I approached turns into me. The taxi guys had hijacked the bus. And the bus now was making a big escape, and it crashed into me. I mean, it was a minor. It was, I was stationary, and the bus pulled off and bumped into me, so I pulled off to the side, and the bus went off. And I'm thinking, you should be stopping. I'm going to get you. So I went around to the back entrance or the front entrance of Kaimandi and I came down. And as I, as I came over the bridge, I looked down and I'm thinking, that's where Derek was attacked uh, a little while ago. And I looked down and I said, there's the bus. I take out my phone. I'm going to take a photo of the registration number. Why don't these people act like me? I'm a proper citizen. I don't take drugs. I honor, I don't speak that much, but I don't, uh, I'm a good guy. <laughs> so as I approach the bus, there's three police vehicles around, and they've got the guys. So I report it to the captain, the captain out on the streets of the municipal law enforcement. He says, go and make a statement. They're going to make a statement to the police right now. They've just kicked off the guys who done who, who just hijacked the bus. No arrests. No document, docket that was opened at the police station. Nothing. The bus disappears. I got the number plate. 
why don't they act like me? I mean, I pay my taxes. I'm a contributor to society, but I have to watch that attitude. Watch that attitude. You see, sometimes God uses and has given more talents. We've just done the talents to other people and has blessed them more than others. Richard Baxter once saw a poor wretch being taken to prison. And he prayed this prayer, famous prayer. There, but for the grace of God, go I. It's grace. Not arrogance. Years ago, Medler and I, before we had children, we were traveling around the United States and we went up into Canada. We did the Rocky Mountains and we went right up to the top of what, not to the very, very top, but we went to Jasper. And as we approached this little town, it was getting dark. We, we went into the town, it's a small town, and we saw a beautiful white hotel. We stayed in that hotel. That hotel was lovely white. It snowed that night. We woke up in the morning and fresh snow had fallen. But that white hotel the day before looked dull and bleak in comparison to this fresh, newly fallen snow. The only basis for our comparison should be Jesus. If we compare ourselves with anybody, it should be with him. And we need to measure up. The second thing about this prayer was it was based on externals. The foundation uh, of, of this prayer was what he had done. Not who he was. He had no dependence on God. Clovis Chapel said he had a good eye on himself, a bad eye on his fellows, and no eye on God. Real prayer is when you sense a need, a desperate need for God. This Pharisee was only praying to himself. Thank God that I'm not like others. And he listed all the negatives that took place. It's very interesting to see. William Barclay points out that the Pharisee said, I fast twice a week. He probably fasted on a Monday and a Thursday. Because on a Monday and a Thursday, that was a major trading day in the, in the town or the city of Jerusalem. And everybody came and con uh, uh, congregated in the town. So he fasted and he prayed. And sometimes they used to paint their faces white. And they used to wear a special type of clothing to reflect that they were pious mourning, that they were, uh, uh, and they were drawing attention to themselves. And this is what they probably did. I want to draw attention to my sacrifice, my religious behavior. I want you to notice what I'm doing. You need to be very aware of that. See, pride can be fatal 
fatal in our Christian lives. How about you? A man came home and saw that his wife had bought a pet monkey and said, you bought a pet monkey? She said, yeah. She said, where does the monkey sleep? She said, in bed with us. But what about the odor? This is what she said. Well, I got used to you. I guess the monkey can too. Before we criticize others, we need to be aware that it, we might be the problem. Huh? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 3, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in the brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in somebody else's eye? <laughs> to compare is just such a conceited, conceited thing to do. The mountain looked down on the molehill and said, Shame. Until both of them realized that there were magnificent stars in the sky. We need to look to Jesus in every situation. And the third thing is, this prayer comes out of negative goodness. Negative goodness. This man congratulated himself because of what he had done. He congratulated himself for the things that he didn't do. I'm not like this person. I'm not like the adulterers or extortioners. I'm not like the tax collector. I'm not these things. I mean, even when he talks about tithing, even when he talks about fasting, it's a negative thing because, you know, I'll get to that. But the golden rule in Christianity is to do unto others as you would like them to do to you. That's the golden rule. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 2. But in Judaism, it's got the negative and some other religions. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. That's all very well. It can, it's clear. I'm not doing it, so I'm good. But when you are proactive and you are to do some stuff, you never finished. It's always a work in progress. There's always something to do and something to take place. So, he says, I tithe. I think tithing is important. But he's boasting about his tithing. I believe in tithing. I believe that tithing is absolutely essential. And I would love for more and more people to come to that revelation of tithing. But if tithing is... The end result of your Christ I've tithed. I'm done. What Jesus says requires a little more. Let's take the decimal. Just move it one figure. And then you hear Jesus. I want you to love me with all your heart. Soul, mind and strength. And we have a very different perspective about what the Lord requires of us. And fasting. We're going to fast on Wednesday. 
hopefully we all participate because we're really serious about bringing people into the kingdom of God. Go into the world, make disciples. So we're going to fast. We'll give up one or two meals for 24 hours. We won't eat anything. We'll realize that we've not had an intake of so many calories. We haven't eaten so much money, so much food, and we've set that aside, and we feel good. But if that's the end result, then let's think again. This guy fasted twice a week. It's all, it's quite easy. It's religion. But when you have a positive view of your faith and of your Christianity, you just never, ever done. You know, we need to get out there to love God with all, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Consider that. How do we do that? We're never finished with that. But I fast twice a week, but at six o'clock that night, I can eat. That's cool. But are you ever finished loving your neighbor as you love yourself? You're not. And it's an interesting thing because the church is the only institution in the world where membership is based on the unworthiness of its members. There was a preacher, Dr. Shoemaker, who once said from his pulpit, the wickedest people that I've ever talked to are not the out-and-out sinners, but they are people who have grown too good ever to be open to the conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit. They are people who enjoy a good reputation and who live on the flattery of their neighbors. See, the heart of the matter is that it isn't God who doesn't like good people. It's the good people that don't like God. The real problem is not simply that we have a holier-than-thou attitude. It's rather that they have a holier-than-God attitude. You remember the story of Cain and Abel? They both came and gave their sacrifice, and God accepted Abel's and not Cain's sacrifice. Cain was fed up with Abel. He didn't repent. God gave him time to repent, but he still eventually ended up murdering Abel. But his attitude was, how dare God? You see, pride resists us moving to a place of repentance. And that's why God doesn't hear the prayer of the tax collector. He resists that in every way. The closer we get to God, the more we realize our desperate need for him. And this man, the tax collector, went away justified. What does that mean? It means 
just as if he had never sinned. It means that all his sins have been forgiven. He is reunited with God. His conscience has been cleared. His fears have been lifted. And he has been given a new freedom. Why? Because his attitude was, God, I I need you. Be merciful to me, Lord. I'm a sinner. I'm the sinner. I want to finish off with a story. It was told by Dr. McClure in his book, Beside the Bonnie Brea Brush. And it's a Scottish preacher. And he told the story of after 40 years of ministry, they were saying thank you to him and getting him ready for retirement. And a friend was saying from the pulpit, quoted this verse, In my father's house there are many mansions. Dr. McClure got up and he said, that's not for me. I'd rather go to Luke 18 and say, and he read this verse, And the publican, the tax collector, standing afar off, would not lift up so much his eyes to heaven, but he smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. May that be our attitude. May that be our growth point. That we come to him with desperate need, with great humility, seeking his mercy on a daily basis.